Daniel chapter 9 is perhaps the outstanding chapter of the Old Testament. It embodies a prophecy given by Gabriel to Daniel concerning information dating the Messiah's advent, crucifixion, and the coming of Antichrist, and the culmination of the end of the age, when serious Bible scholars mention Daniel chapter 9 almost immediately, their thoughts turn toward this significant, significant prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks, or 70 weeks of years. But let me suggest to you that the first 19 verses of Daniel 9 talk about prayer. There are twice as many verses in this chapter that address prayer, that address prophecy. And let me suggest to you that it is the prayer that made the prophecy possible. It was Daniel's devotion that made it possible for him to receive revelation. That's always true. Our devotion makes revelation possible. And there is revelation on both sides of this prayer of Daniel. First verse says, I understand or I understood from books, precisely books of the Bible. More specifically, Jeremiah chapter 25 and chapter 29, where in his reading, Jeremiah not only prophesied the captivity of Judah, how long they would stay in Babylon and their release back to their city again. Daniel reading what had been prophesied by Jeremiah nearly 70 years before, that knowledge impacted his life that brought about the kind of praying that is recorded for us here. And we're taught prayer not by precept but by example. Daniel's prayer is recorded, preserved for us by the inspiration of Scripture. I believe that the Holy Spirit never makes a mistake when he incorporates a block of something like this in Scripture. There's a reason for that to be recorded for us. And I believe we learn something about the kind of praying we need to do in the light of prophecy. And then as he was praying while he was still in prayer and the words were still in his mouth. If you have your Bible open, verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel, making my request of the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight from the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. The prophecy follows from that point on. We're not going to get into the detail of the prophecy this morning. We'll save that for next Sunday morning. But I do want us to look at this man and the activities, the circumstances of Daniel, the coming of Gabriel, 
and the communication of God. That's the three points we'll talk about together this Sunday and next Sunday. The circumstances of Daniel, while he was praying, he felt a hand. King James Version says, the hand of the angel touched me. And he spoke to me. Gabriel is the high priority messenger angel of God. When God sent Gabriel, and there's only three or so of the angels that are given names in the, in the scripture, Lucifer for one, and Michael for another, and Gabriel, uh, the archangel, coming to Zacharias to say to him, you're going to be a father in your old age. You and Elizabeth are going to bear a son, and his name should be called John. And then he appeared to Mary and said to her, Thou art highly favored. God has chosen you. You're going to conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Jesus. Gabriel was the messenger God had sent with information of that dimension. So I want you to see in this passage, God considers the events of this hour of that significance equal to the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist and the announcement of the birth of Jesus. Gabriel came and laid his hand upon Daniel and said to him, I have been sent by God to give you understanding and insight. But before we get into that, he said, I just want you to know, by the way, God said to tell you, you are well beloved. Wouldn't that be neat? To have your prayer closet invaded by an angel of the Lord in physical form and you feel a hand on your shoulder and you know there's no one else in the room. <laughs> and then to hear an audible voice behind you saying, God has sent me to tell you something special, something of tremendous significance. And by the way, I want you to know what God thinks of you. You are well beloved. NIV says you are highly esteemed. Now let me ask you a question. Does God love some of us more than he loves others of us? And I see some of you appropriately shaking your head. I don't believe he does either. I think God loves us unconditionally. I believe that God loves us universally. I don't think God has favorites. I think with him there is no partiality. There's no respect of persons. So God's love for each one of us is the same. He loves you as much as he does the person sitting next to you, or in front of you, or in back of you. God loves each one of us just the same. He does not have a favorite. And yet when you read Jude chapter, chapter 1 verse 20, it says, keep yourselves in the love of God. There's a personal responsibility that comes to us with regard to God's love. When we stand in the circle of obedience, we stand in the place where God is able to pour out his love upon us and to shed his love abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. When we are standing in that circle of obedience and faithfulness to his will, God is able to shower his grace upon us. It is possible for us to step out of the circle of obedience and in disobedience sever ourselves from the place that God can manifest his love toward us. So it is a personal responsibility that the Holy Spirit gives us to keep ourselves in the love of God because in that circle of obedience it opens the windows of God 
in his availability to bless and minister to us. God does not have favorites, but he does have intimates. And we can be near to him. That's our choice. We can draw closer to him and experience more of him on our initiative and drawing near to him. We can discover him and enjoy him and receive from him. It's our choice. He is always available. He says, you just come to me. Whosoever will. There's no name there. You put your name in that slot. Whosoever believeth on him should not perish. Whosoever will may come. I stand at the door and knock. If any man, any man will open the door, I will come in and sup with him. There's no partiality, no respect of persons. He says, any man opening the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. The initiative is ours if we will be in that place. We quote the verses, his ear is not heavy, his arm is not shortened, that he cannot hear or save. Sometimes in connection with the fact that we're trusting him to do. But the next verse says, your sin has separated you from God. So that the implication is you have, you have caused it to be difficult for God to be able to listen to your prayer or do anything about it. Because if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so it's important for us to appreciate that fact. We can live in the circle of obedience and experience and enjoy the blessing of God and the love of God in our lives and to have the affirmation of the Lord upon us. Thou art well beloved. And I think we have every right to feel and sense that affirmation this morning in this place if we're living in obedience to the Lord you need to know how the Lord feels about you. You are well beloved. Hallelujah. Daniel, while he started to pray, when he began to pray, God began to answer. God sent his messenger with a special gift of insight and instruction for him. He discovered by books you need to turn with me back to Jeremiah and let's look at what Daniel was reading and find out what kind of impact what he read had upon him. And if we approach this passage with the same kind of study, I believe the same kind of reaction and impact ought to be upon us. Daniel read Jeremiah's prophecy. We're reading Daniel's prophecy. Both of them gives clear insight and direction concerning specific prophetic time. Something about what Daniel read in Jeremiah caused him to realize, hey, I'm standing very near to something tremendous happening in my life. We need to have the same sense as well. Jeremiah 25, 11 and 12. God is speaking through his prophet. This is before they were taken away captive. This whole country will become desolate, a desolate wasteland. These nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, 
I will punish the king of Babylon and, the, and his nation and the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord. I will make it desolate forever. I will bring upon that land all the things that I have spoken against it, all that are written in this book and prophesied by Jeremiah against all the nations. Chapter 29, verse 10. Just take a couple right turns. This whole chapter is a wonderful instruction to the people when you get into the land when you become captive by those people here's how you should behave here's what you should do how you should respond I think we've touched this just a bit verse 4 this is what the Lord Almighty the God of Israel says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon build houses and settle down plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters in marriage. Increase in number. Also seek peace and the prosperity of the city to which you are carried away to exile. Pray to the Lord for it to become prosperous and you will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. And then he gives a little warning. Do not let the prophets, diviners among you, deceive you. Do not listen to dreams, the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. When 70 years are accomplished for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise and bring you back to this place. Some of you have this next verse memorized. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and I will come and pray and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will gather you from the nations. God gave some specific timetables in this prophecy before they ever left the land. Before they were ever taken captive, Jeremiah said, first of all, you're going to go, but I want you to know how long you're going to stay, and that will be 70 years. When 70 years is finished, I'm going to bring you back to this place. Now, we need to appreciate the fact that according to secular history, Daniel now has served through the Babylonian Empire, and in this chapter, the first year of of Darius which mounts to about 68 or 69 years of captivity he could do some easy arithmetic and, and say hey God's about to do something I'm living on the threshold of fulfilled prophecy here and I know the God who gave Jeremiah the prophecy that we were going to be exiled is the same God who gave Jeremiah the terms of that, pro of that prophecy and we would be here 70 years and 70 years is almost finished and so he set his face to begin to pray and seek the face of God God inspired Jeremiah the prophet to let him know how long that would be I want you to know that whether Daniel prayed or not, God was going to fulfill his word. There are some promises of God that are unconditional. And this promise 
this prophecy through Jeremiah was unconditional and he would have brought them back to Jerusalem whether Daniel ever prayed it was not an answer to Daniel's prayer I want you to know something whether I'm faithful or you're faithful or not Jesus is coming back whether I pray about it or don't pray about it whether I want him to or don't want him Jesus is coming back there is an unconditional promise that stands just as real and just as powerful as Jeremiah's prophecy concerning the time of their exile in Babylon would be 70 years when 70 years was fulfilled there came a decree from Darius you go back, rebuild your city, rebuild the temple rebuild the walls God did just what he said it was not as a result of answered prayer God did it because of prophecy we need to understand Jesus is coming back whether we're ready or not, here I come whether we pray about that, whether we're faithful or unfaithful, God will keep his word, and Jesus is coming back again. It says in this, from verse 20 on, it was during the time of the evening sacrifice. That intrigued me as I read through that this, uh, this past week again. If you go back to Daniel with me. Daniel chapter 9 I think it's about the 20th verse while I was speaking confessing my sin the sins of the people making requests to God while I was still in prayer Gabriel whom I had seen earlier came to me swift about the time of the evening sacrifice about the time of the evening sacrifice now Daniel was taken from his home and his city when he was just a little guy, remember? We talked about from 10 to 12 years of age or so. Now he's about 90 years of age. 68 or 9 years in a heathen country and he still remembers what took place in his village, in his city at 3 o'clock in the afternoon he remembered seeing smoke rise from the temple grounds. It was the time of the evening sacrifice. It was a time when a lamb was brought. And a man would come and stand and put his hands on the head of that lamb and confess his sins. And in an act of identification and transmission, he would, he would confess his sins as though placing his sins upon that lamb. The high priest with one swipe of that knife would would come across the carotid vein and that lamb would be slain, placed on the altar and offered as a sacrifice to God. It was a time of confessing of sins and a, a shedding of blood and an offering of sacrifice for sins. I suspect that this was routine with Daniel. For almost 70 years, this little boy remembered some early Sunday school training, remembered and continued to do not a bad time for confession of sins. Just before sundown, just before the end of the day, before whatever might have transpired of sins of omission and commission during the day, to make sure that when we lay our head on the pillow at night, there's nothing between my soul and my Savior. Good way to close the day, don't you think? To have an evening sacrifice. Daniel, 68 or 69 years remembered remembered three o'clock in the afternoon I know what they should be doing at home in Jerusalem in the temple courtyard 
There should be a, an atonement for sin. There should be the blood of the lamb shed and an offering of sin offered to God. The time of the evening sacrifice. He was confessing his sins. And the sins of the people of Israel at three o'clock in the afternoon. The time of prayer and of confession of sins. Hallelujah. It was a daily time with the Lord. Time of evening sacrifice. He learned from books. He learned something that caused him to pray. And the whole document is there for us. Something inside him felt, I want to be a part of what God's about to do. I want to be a part of what God is about to do. Why pray if God's going to bring it anyway? Well, I want to be a part of it. I want to be ready for it. I want to be included in it. Some way, I want to be a part of prophecy in whatever God is bringing about. I don't want to be left behind. I want to know what he's doing, and I want to be included in what he's doing. So my prayer is preparation. I've got cleansing and confessing to do. I want to be right and ready in right standing before God. So whatever he's about to do, I'm going to be included. I'm going to be a part of it. I stand recognizing I'm at the threshold of something, something tremendous. Something is about to change. And the revelation that he received from God gave specific details as to the number of years it would be from the time it was decreed to go and rebuild until the Messiah would come and be crucified and cut off. Turn with me just a moment or two to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. We call it the triumphal entry. We could also call it the tearful entry. Verse 39 and 40, chapter 19, some of the Pharisees that crowded to Jesus said, Teacher, rebuke these disciples. And he said, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring your peace and now it's hidden from your eyes the day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side they will dash you to the ground you and the children within your walls they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you why did Jesus weep why when he saw Jerusalem on his way in when all of the crowd was, was praising him and crying out, Hosanna to the King of Kings. Why did Jesus weep? While they're rejoicing, while they're praising him, he looked at them and said, Oh, if you had only known the time of your visitation. If you had only known, it was not that they couldn't know, it was because, but they didn't know. Had they read Daniel chapter 9, they would have known. Had they done what Daniel did when he read Jeremiah 25 and 29, they would have known he was the Messiah. 
Daniel got a word from Gabriel that said there's going to be seven weeks or 49 years. Then there's going to be 62 weeks or 483 years. You put those together and you can tell precisely 33 AD when Jesus was coming. When he would be cut off. Jesus wept. He said, oh, I wish you had read and studied and known Daniel chapter 9. He would have told you this was the day of your visitation from God. Why did Jesus weep? It was not that they didn't have the word. It's not that they couldn't have known, but they just didn't know. What a tragedy it would be if we're living close to the second advent of Jesus Christ and we're in the condition of the first advent of Jesus Christ. When we don't learn anything from Daniel chapter 9, we ought to have the same thing impacting our lives that impacted Daniel's life. When he read Jeremiah 25 and 29, he began to have something stir inside of him that affected his prayer life, his devotional time with God. He fell and he said, I set my face to seeking God with fasting, with prayer, with sackcloth and ashes. I got serious about praying. I got serious about God because I knew within a year or so we're going to experience something brand new. God was going to fulfill prophecy. You believe he's about to do something? Why? Because I read it in the book. It's not because I have kind of a sense about it or think about it or maybe it is, but it's in the book. And if it's in the book, it's going to happen. Whether I'm ready or not, it's going to happen. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. Jesus wept because they could have known the day of their visitation from God, but they did not know because Daniel chapter 9 gives them a precise number of years they could document it from the time the decree of Darius, Cyrus came, until Jesus came and was crucified. We'll talk about that a little bit next Sunday morning. They should have known. He wept because they did not know. People perish for lack of knowledge. It's in the book. It's there for us to learn by books what God is going to do. Oh my, I hope you're not hungry. There's candy bars in the lobby. <laughs> Go back to Daniel 9. I won't uh, labor long here. Isn't God merciful? The text is wonderful here. We could take our time and go just verse by verse. Daniel knew some things about God that we need to know about God. He said, I turned to the Lord and pled with him with prayer and petition, fasting, sackcloth, and acid. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps covenant. Let's stop there for a minute. That's important that we, if we're going to pray, if we're going to sense something and we're going to pray, let's pray to this kind of a God. Great and powerful God. Hallelujah. There's nothing in this world 
under this world, above this world, that can keep God from doing what he promised he would do. He's big enough to pull this off. All the demons in hell cannot stop God from fulfilling his plan of prophecy. He is the great and the awesome God. Powerful God. No one can stand him or withstand him. He is all powerful, almighty, and the awesome God. That's who I come to pray to this morning. Hallelujah. He's the one who keeps covenant. He is a faithful God. He is righteous. He does all things right. He's never done a wrong thing in his life. You say amen? He is a forgiving God. You read it, you'll kind of underline all of those things. Daniel knew about God. I think we need to know about God. Becky and I were out driving to uh, the mall on Thursday night, and I had word radio on. I couldn't believe my ears. I couldn't believe it. I was listening to a number of preachers, all of whom you would know if I spoke their name, talking about God created us in his own image, in his likeness. We're identical to God, so everything that God is, we are. And I thought, wait a minute here. And that we are God's. Like him, made in his likeness, made in his image. And then they proceeded to ask a question, who made the biggest mistake in history? Was it the devil? Of course, he makes a lot of mistakes. And was it Adam? He made a mistake. And they concluded, no, it was God who made the greatest mistake of history. And my head is spinning by this time. And that he gave dominion and that Adam could fly through space because he was given dominion over the birds. And you can't have dominion over something and not be able to do everything it does. And the longer it went, the more ludicrous it became. Folks, that's baloney. You can slice that and sell it by the pound. That's just not true. Adam was not like God. He was man. He was not omnipresent. He was in one place at one time. He could not be everywhere at one time. Adam was not omniscient. He did not know everything. He didn't know the difference between right and wrong. He was not all powerful. He was not like God. I'm sorry. James says that God cannot be tempted with evil. You cannot say when you're tempted, I've been tempted of God. Because God never tempted anybody, neither can he be tempted by anybody. Adam was tempted and fell. He could be tempted. He was tempted and he did give in. I'm sorry, we need to know who God is. We need to know who man is. We were made a little lower than the angels. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you hear. I think after the series is over, we're going to talk about what does the Bible say about God. Adam was not eternal. God's eternal. <laughs> Some things ought to be obvious. Some things ought to be obvious. We ought to know who God is. We ought to know who we are. At a beginning, God was without beginning. He was ever, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. 
Can't say that about Adam. <laughs> he's not omniscient. He's not all-powerful. He's not everywhere present. How did I get there? <laughs> he keeps covenant. Verse 7, you're righteous. By this day you've covered us with shame. And I want you just to see as we are closing this off. Verse 7, now our God hear the prayer, petition, your servant, for your, for your sake, O Lord. Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. I think this ought to be the motivation for all of our prayer life. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we're righteous, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, listen. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, hear and act for your sake, O oh my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Why was he praying? Do it, Lord, for your glory. Do it for your own name's sake. Do it for your sake, Lord. And I think my prayer life and yours ought to have that same end result, and that is not just so that my needs are met, but that his name be glorified. Do it for your name's sake, Lord. Don't just do it because we need it so desperately. Do it because you need to be praised. You ought to be glorified. Do it for your own name's sake. It's your city that bears your name. Do it for your own name's sake. Oh, God, send revival to Monroeville. We need it desperately. But don't send it because of our need. Send it for your name's sake. America needs a revival desperately. But Lord, don't do it because of our need. Do it for your name so that you would be exalted. I don't know what you're praying about today. Let me suggest you pray for his name's sake so that the end result, the answer would be to the praise and glory of the name of our God. Let it be for Jesus' sake. Father, take these thoughts this morning. We need them. Daniel learned something from studying prophecy that changed his lifestyle. It changed his prayer life. It impacted his prayer life. He set his face again. He set his face to seek God in a new way. Sackcloth and ashes, repentance and confession. Lord Jesus, he wanted to be ready for the change that you were about to make in the history of your people. And in the midst of that kind of praying, that kind of devotion came revelation. And I pray that that would happen to us as well. Give us insight and wisdom in this hour so that we, in reading your book, will understand the day of our visitation. So that we'll be ready to be a part of whatever you're doing in this world, in your church, in the fulfillment of prophecy. Make us ready. In Jesus' name.